Welcome to Garden People with your host, Jill Sowards of Violet Air Studio. Join us each season as we speak with your favorite garden people, designers, florists, growers, naturalists, chefs, artists, and more about how gardens have shaped their lives and inform their work today with seasonal tips, expert recommendations, and lots and lots of plants. To learn more, go to our website at violetairstudio.com. You'll find episode information, our seasonal journal, class list, and seed offerings. Everything you need to start your own garden story. It's my pleasure to welcome today's guest, Emily Avinson of Floropean. Originally from California, Emily grew into her role as a floral artist and teacher after her move to Belgium, where she lives and works. Her arrangements have incredible color, movement, and use of space. She grows all the flowers used in her on-site classes and online workshop, and the delight she takes in the growing process is visible in each stem. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jill. This is so exciting. (laughs) I wanted to begin by asking you how you came to this work. What was your floral journey? What made you first put your hands in the soil? Oh, it's so funny because it was such an organic process that really started with my move over here to Europe. Because growing up in the Bay Area, we had a garden and I have a lot of garden memories, but it wasn't an intense hands in the soil, intimate experience that really connected me to nature in any way. So, and to me, it never seemed to be a realistic option to build a future upon, you know, it was always just kind of like, oh, yay, summertime, yay, let's sit on the porch. But moving here, there's this culture of kind of having your veggie garden, just like a little, a lot of people just have like a little itty bitty section of their garden where they grow zucchini and beans and salad. And so my in-laws, I saw them doing that, like that they had their salad that they would get fresh from the garden and kind of make for dinner. And I was intrigued. I was like, oh, this is fun, you know? And so my mother-in-law helped me kind of start my first little venture into that. And we started like carrots and you go to the farmer's markets here and they're selling all these like plant starters that everybody's waiting in line to go and get and plant in their vegetable gardens. So it was really, that was like my first experience really kind of trying to fit in with the culture over here and literally find my roots and make new roots. And then with flowers specifically, it really started with our wedding. Like when we were getting married, I kind of had started to fall in love with the process of working the soil and growing things. So I thought, and I was always, I've always been super duper into and attracted to flowers. So I thought, oh, I really would love to use this opportunity. It was a small, intimate affair. It wasn't anything, there wasn't any pressure or anything. So I was like, oh, I'll uh, grow my own flowers and decorate with flowers that I grow. And so I grew sweet peas and cosmos and nigella, a few, I think, I think those were like my main my main staples in decoration. And that was, that was the moment where I was like, oh, I can grow flowers and I can work with my own flowers and I can grow what I want to and work with things that inspire me. And just like that, the idea of seeing a seed package, planting the seeds with love and then watching life grow was just so magical to me. From that moment, I was hooked and I just kept expanding. (laughs) Absolutely. How did you move into floristry as a profession? I know you did, started with weddings. Yeah. So I, I started experimenting with flowers for our own wedding and completely forgot to even like make myself a bridal bouquet. You know, like I just kind of grabbed what I had on the table and like, woo! But from there, I had seen people who I was really inspired by, like Susanna from The Blue Carrot and Sarah from Sapua. And I was really touched by the idea of growing things and using really unique materials in a very natural way. 
so, so I was intrigued by that. And I just kind of tried to glean any information that I could from photos that they would share or little tidbits of varieties that they were growing or using. And then kind of by, oh, and the Studio Chew in San Francisco, there were several designers who I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And I could see, speaks to my heart. And it's different from floristry that I was familiar with. So just by kind of reenacting in my own weird way what I thought they were doing and kind of learning from that, just by learning from imitating in a lot of ways and then kind of picking and choosing bits that I liked from that designer or from that designer and that designer, you know, and then just by practicing and the work didn't at all turn out how I thought it was, but I was very proud of it in the moment. Yep. <laughs> so like looking back, it's really terrible, but I, I was happy with my growth. <laughs> So I just, I just kind of dabbled in experimentation and imitation until I really kind of found what I now consider my own floral voice and my own unique style, just by kind of combining things and finding my own way. That was kind of how I really got started with floristry was more of a hobby since I wasn't, I wasn't working at the time here. And it was kind of an interesting journey figuring out what am I doing here? What am I supposed to be doing here in this new place? with a new language and new people and finding my own way here. So it kind of became, I don't want to say, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe kind of therapy, you know, floral therapy of like figuring out who I am and through expressing myself through flowers, it became like this really wonderful experience, which then led to wedding planner here in Germany or just over the border in Germany, seeing my work via a photographer in Germany and asking what I like to do weddings because the style that I was doing was relatively, it was pretty unique here in Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg, like this whole area. So, so she was, it was more like English and American, I would say more, I don't know, trends here are always like three to four years behind, I think. Right. Yeah. So that got me into wedding work. From there, that kind of attracted attention from a couple of local people who asked if maybe they could come and visit and I could teach a class, which at the time was super intimidating to me because I had no idea that I even had anything to give or teach. But that then opened up the door into teaching, which I've since found is absolutely 100% my calling. So <laughs> Wonderful. It is very organic development there. That's wonderful. Yeah. Are you still growing all of your own flowers for the classes? Yes. And that's a huge reason why I segued more toward classes and hosting people in the garden was because I found trying to attempt to grow for weddings demanded a totally different mindset in terms of floral choices. And I just found in order to cater to the brides who were looking for flowers here in the area, you would have to grow like a field full of Café Ole Dahlia. It was a very limited palette choice that was beautiful, but it's not as inspirational when you're kind of recreating variations of the same theme each time, especially when you're growing, because that's what you're stuck with then for the entire season. And when that's all you have to create with and play with, it's, you know, that you have very limited options for what you can create with the same ingredients. So I found with teaching, all of a sudden I could grow what inspired me and that excitement for what I was growing was contagious. And, you know, you, you could, mm -hmm. by, by choosing Excellent. really unique, weird things or things you wouldn't find at the market or from a wholesaler, you could offer this totally unique experience of exciting ingredients and cool color palettes. So yes, I do grow all of my own flowers and that's what keeps it super exciting for me. And then 
indirectly through for visitors as well. Absolutely. Can you describe your growing space a little bit? How big is it? Since two years ago, I've moved to a new growing space. So I moved the garden away from my home to a new property where we have accommodations and studio space and the gardens all on site. So for workshops, it's my dream come true. So the new space that I'm growing on is a combination of a small hedged in kind of like a courtyard garden, I would call it, where you have the formal buxus balls that kind of divide the borders into different areas. So a more formal garden. I've built that to be my perennial garden along with my spring bulbs. So in the springtime, it really like explodes with a lot of bulb color. And then the perennials take over and put on a great show for the rest of the growing season. So there's that section, which is small-ish. I would say my total growing space is maybe like one and a half acres. So, which is divided into a small space there. And then the majority of my cutting garden is kind of, I converted like a field that had kind of part of which had always been a vegetable garden throughout centuries. So it has really wonderful, rich soil, which is wonderful to work in. But we we removed a barrier and built out into kind of a wilder field. And you can totally tell like right away, right where that barrier was. It's like heavy clay, lots of roots from trees that had been established. So all like all of a sudden I was like, oh man, like <laughs> it was totally butter, like trying to plant in the Yeah. It was so misleading. I was like, woo, like here we go. I'm gonna yeah. just work through. Right, let's make more space. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden like planting dahlias and then digging them up is the biggest struggle. It's like a tug of war with nature. <laughs> and yeah. so that and that I would say is a good acre maybe. And that's where I grow the majority of my annuals and my dahlias, bearded irises and sweet peas and and ranunculus and all those good things. <laughs> Wonderful. And as we're entering late fall, early winter almost, <laughs> what is your garden doing right now? What do you see? Oh my gosh. That? We just had our first pretty decent killing frost for the dahlias for sure two nights ago. So right now it looks pretty crappy, <laughs> but the scabiosa are still going. The pansies are still going. The roses still want to bloom. So certain flowers are just survivors. But the zinnias and the dahlias are are done for the year. But up until then, it was I was impressed with how much you could still really pick and create with. So that was really like you still had a bunch of scabiosas, the zinnias, the dahlias were kind of trying to say like I'm done, please, like yeah. <laughs> put me to bed. But there were still petunias were still going, still cutting roses. I mean, and then the foliage just takes over. You got like the the wonderful beech trees that turn like the wonderful colors, the bracken fern turn golden. The Solomon seal has been one of my favorites to use. Like where, you know, like throughout the growing season, it's really green and has like the white flowers. But to me, it really shines in the autumn when it just almost looks dried, golden. Somebody on my recent, one of my recent posts said, oh, you're with wisteria leaves. And I was like, oh, I could see that. It does a little. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I could see that. Like the, so, and then and the asters, oh, up until like, and then all throughout late September in early November, the asters were amazing. So it's, yeah, it's really fun seeing how long you can really push the growing season. And the chrysanthemums, if I had planted them better, would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what's your daily or weekly garden practice? How often are you out? What are you doing? Oh, there? it's super seasonal. I'll start like really 
weeding and keeping a close eye on the garden in February mm-hmm. and really kind of get in there and like start seeding obviously inside. But I don't really start preparing the beds until February, March, whenever the weather lets me. Right. <laughs> and then I feel this pull. That's the weird thing about farmer floristry is like you feel this pull to also create with what is growing. Yeah. So all of a sudden when the tulips, I, I try to capitalize on that period of February, March, where maybe you'll get your snowdrops and your hellebores, but there's not an insane amount to choose from that that you feel obligated to be creating all this crazy floral art. So so I try to capitalize on that for really weeding and preparing the garden a bit before spring comes. And then once the tulips come and the fritillaries and the daffodil, you know, all of a sudden I feel this need to, or this, not, not even a need, but this, this desire to create with what is blooming. And, you know, you plant it for a specific reason to be created with. So all of a sudden you're like, ah, so that, that's hard where there's this pull between trying to get garden still not like, especially the annual garden kind of maintain that, but, and get it ready for everything, but also be creating. So I would say between like late March through late April, there's kind of a lull in my gardening activity. And then all of a sudden May, I'm like, ah, like, oh, then you really have to get everything ready for your seedlings that need to go in, direct seeding, and just get the dahlias in. So all of a sudden there's this like push to really work super hard there. And then I would say there's a lull again after you complete that because things are looking pretty good for a little bit. It's just like more mowing the grass and maintaining the non-flowering parts. And then there's kind of like one more push of weeding, I would say, July and often watering. I don't have a good irrigation system yet. So this summer was exceptional in that it was so moist and wet. I think I watered once over the entire growing season, which is absolutely crazy. Then I kind of get lazy and I create more than I weed. So starting starting (laughs) in July and like in August, things aren't looking as meticulous as they might have been looking when the beds were first prepared. Then again, there's the pull to create with all the amazing ingredients coming out of the garden. And then once those are kind of declining again, I would say like starting now, like starting two to three weeks ago, I really started feeling like, okay, let's get the beds going again. And I'm, I'm planting a new area then with a lot, like a shady area with a lot of hookara and fritillaries. And then I'm transplanting some bearded iris, dividing bearded iris and planting a bunch more tulips. So all of a sudden now between, I would say late September through early December, it's go time again in terms of kind of turning the borders over again. So it's like this weird roller coaster of busyness and then laziness. <laughs> well, it's funny. I think the growing season, you sort of, because everything is going the decline, it would seem that everything should sort of go to bed, but it actually has this, just as you're describing, has this funny decline and then ramps up again because you're sort of preparing for spring. And it's fun to have almost, it almost feels like two springs, like two kind of enthusiasm <laughs> moments, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, you, you get your bold moment of like, woo, yeah. like let's create something. And then all of a sudden the garden kind of has this lull and then you get your annuals and like dahlias. And it's like, woo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned having some garden experiences as a young person. Can you tell a little bit more about where you're, you were raised and what garden memories you have from that time? Yeah. So I, I grew up in Oakland, which is really close to you. Yeah. <laughs> we had a decent sized garden, but it's nothing crazy at all. Like I just had like a front yard and then 
I do remember like there were a bunch of really beautiful hydrangea bushes and maybe two hydrangea bushes or one really big one. I can't remember, <laughs> but it was like the most beautiful periwinkle colored blue. I guess now I've learned probably due to the soil. Like, <laughs> And then we had this beautiful Japanese maple behind there. I totally remember that. And my mom really loved her roses. She had like six roses along our walkway and then grass. And that was, and then we had like a bunch of calla lilies kind of down that she would have us go pick. We were kind of like gophers, you know, like, like, oh, go pick some calla lilies or go, go do this or go do that or water the roses, you know? So it was like really minimal, minimal garden experience, but still, I, I still found it really beautiful. There was something beautiful about it, but I didn't, I didn't have that much hands-on experience in terms of gardening. Like my mom didn't do a lot of it herself, like mowing the grass, like she had a full-time job. So a lot of, a lot of the maintenance work was like a garden company that came and like mowed and then did a few quick things and then left, you know? So it wasn't, I wasn't intimately involved with a lot of detailed garden maintenance. Right. But it still had some beauty for you that you kind of held on to. Totally. Yeah. For for whatever reason, you know what, actually one of my best friends, and my dad reminded me of this, one of my best friends between my age of like seven and 14 was a florist. And he would take us on like these foraging trips, he called them. And I didn't even know, like I only made the connection between foraging and what, cause he called it foraging too, but I didn't, I had yeah. no idea when he said, Hey, let's go forage. You know, I had no idea what he was talking about. I was just like, Oh, like let's get in the van and go, you know, but now being involved in floristry, I know what he was doing. <laughs> so that, I think that also played like, and he always had, and he lived right off of Piedmont Avenue in Oakland and they had this like crazy weird house. And he had all these really crazy weird flowers and plants growing in their bathtub downstairs, you know? So it was, I think maybe that also triggered a lot of my fascination with interesting plants and flowers. Totally. Do you remember what you were collecting? The one time I remember, I remember going foraging with him was out, like, I want to say near Arinda or Lafayette somewhere. I feel like maybe where we're getting ferns or like something. It felt like a forestry place when I think back. It's not a very clear memory. I don't remember what we were getting necessarily, but I remember the trip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. And that's something that you do today, correct? Yes. I'm not, I'm not like the biggest forager. I, it makes me really nervous. <laughs> yeah. But it makes me anxious cutting a bunch of like, even, even along this, which is funny because or like, I often co-host a workshop with Madison from Heart Floral and she's super big in the foraging. And I'm always just like, oh, like, oh my gosh, she's like, oh, you sure? Okay. Go before anyone leaves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is also one reason I don't specialize in like huge installations. I, I much prefer smaller centerpieces or bouquets or works of art, you know, where where it really feels sustainable and it comes from the garden. And I feel like I'm cutting these, like just the stem that I need, you know, versus installations. I feel like, I don't know, for me, I I understand that for weddings and large scale events, it it could be considered necessary to have that kind of wow factor. But so much of it just hurts when I see how much of the plant goes, it gets taken away or, you know, where you're like, oh. Right. When you are planning your, what your, the stems that you're going to use, how do you think about your palette? Because it's almost a, not a, or can it be almost a year out, depending on what your- It is. Doing. It totally is. I haven't even gotten my Dahlia tours out of the ground, but I've already through walk, because you're, you're already thinking about next year just by walking through the garden and saying like, ooh, I like that. And, ooh, I like that. And like, oh, that color would go well with that, but maybe I want more peach. Or, you know, so, so you're already kind of building a dream palette for the following season based on your favorites of what you're growing right now. <laughs> And the crazy thing is that it changes so much too. Sometimes I'll go crazy 
ordering like purple and then I'll kind of forget what I ordered right <laughs> and fall comes around and you're like really into peach you know and all these purple bulbs come and you're like oh no like oh I'm gonna do purple now okay yeah <laughs> and one year like yellow I don't know it just really changes a lot like some things some things stay static and are always like good go-to favorites but a lot is constantly changing and and I noticed that because this year I grew a lot of my solid favorites and I found myself not necessarily bored, but not as excited as I normally would be, you know, like where you can't wait to go out in the field and just like, like see, see that flower head open up and what color is that one going to be? So it's interesting to see how being experimental and trying new things can really impact your excitement towards creating. Yeah. So do you build in a few random colors, but things that you don't quite know how they'll fit just on the off chance that that might speak to you later? Totally. Yeah. Like I, I had this vision for this year, which didn't work because of our really wet summer, but I wanted to plant a bunch of like tomatoes and then I was thinking, okay, red and I want some yellow. So I, I grew like the Aztec zinnias, which I always love and I always use those. I think those are always so much fun. And then I was, I found this dahlia called Joey Joshua and it had these red borders on each petal, but the inner part of the petal was yellow. So I was like, oh, that'll be so fun to work with all these kind of going back to your original question, when I'm trying to think of palettes, I always try to think of like at least three ingredients that are going to play off of each other, but that are different in texture or shape or form. So that that will make for an interesting arrangement. So for me, that would have been like the tomatoes, the Aztec zinnias, nasturtiums, and this Joey Joshua Dahlia. And so I planted it. And like, so my, my tomatoes totally rotted away in the wet. Uh, open field <laughs> so that that sucked <laughs> there was one texture and then the joey joshua's were like these huge i don't know if i got like wrong tubers but like i was picturing this kind of tighter ball dahlia and they were just like these huge ball dahlias i've never seen a ball dahlia that big <laughs> so i was totally thrown off by this year especially i really noticed that i tend to prioritize smaller flowers mm-hmm. <laughs> like so if anything i'll use small ball dahlias or like pom-pom dahlias Mm-hmm. So that, that really threw me off. I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this? Okay. <laughs> so sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> totally. But that's helped visualize how you're planning it out, even if it doesn't work. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Even then, like it's fun that like by it not working, it almost pushes you to become more resourceful and creative with your ingredients anyway. So it's not, yes. not always a bad thing. <laughs> no, no. It's fun to have the dream moment and fun to have challenges. The reality. Yeah, the reality. Exactly. <laughs> with that color palette that reminded me of I think it's new. I don't know how new it is. The Akita Dahlia. Have you seen that? I think so. Is that slightly more... Like a darker red with like a tip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. So it would be like about... like So say Joey Joshua was like a really tight pom-pom maybe. Then the Akita would be another fun ingredient to add in to get that similar color play, but slightly different texture and form. Right, right. Yeah. Good thinking. <laughs> I guess beyond tomatoes, is there anything that you haven't been able to grow? I mean, it seems like it can be kind of challenging conditions there. Yeah. Icelandic poppies just like do not want to grow for me. And like, it was funny because I had, I think like one or two plants finally survive after like multiple attempts. And what worked best was just like letting themselves seed (laughs) and like letting nature do. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Do you. (laughs) That is one that I've just given up really trying hard with. And nasturtiums, like, are really hit or miss with me. Like, certain ones, like, especially, like, the ladybird rose, which is such an amazing color. I just get this teeny weeny plant that produces, you know, which is like, oh, if you were bigger and bushier and more floriferous, you would be so amazing. But it's like, 
these little itty bitty flowers from this little itty bitty plant. So that's yeah. hard. Well, I don't know if you think it's especially funny coming from Oakland where nasturtiums, especially right? the, I know. You know, standard orange, like sprawl. <laughs> they're like everywhere. But now that you say that, I realize my ladybirds are always a little bit weird. Yeah. And this is where we can, they grow, they seed in. Right. Start all year long. So deers get like decent sized, even despite. No, they're not. I always think, oh, it must've been because it wasn't the best spot, but everyone else was in a better spot, you know, something like that. But now that you're saying it, that actually, it might be them. It might not be I me. think they're just very, <laughs> it might not be very me. prissy. <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit more sensitive. Yeah. 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 Demanding, they're high maintenance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, is there anything new you want to try next year or something that you didn't grow maybe enough of this year that you're going to add extras? I'm trying tomatoes again. <laughs> I'm not giving up. <laughs> this year, for example, I adventured into the world of lilies, which I was super happy with. That was wonderful. Let's see for next year. Yeah. I'm still sticking with my like potager, like my little like veggie garden yeah. flower combo concept, which I hope will work really well. This year, I hope we have a normal summer. <laughs> but so let's see, I'm starting with tomatoes. I'm going to grow corn. I'm, I want to grow some of the fun, not necessarily like the glass gem corn, but I've, I've got this like Oaxacan green corn that looks really cool. And I'm not thinking even using it. Well, that's a silly thing with me. Like, I'm like, it's, it's so ridiculous because I always, I'm like, oh, I want to grow golden raspberries and I want to grow white currants. But it's, it's never with intention of eating them. Yes. <laughs> so like my daughter's like, I'm like, ah, I don't wait. Right. <laughs> it's like this fine line between letting her be free and enjoying the garden to its fullest and like not wasting that one beautiful branch. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Oaxacan green will be more so for using somehow either in like table decoration or and less so in terms of eating it, I suppose. <laughs> and I have this love-hate relationship with sweet peas. That was one of the first things I started growing and I love them and they smell so good, but they have such a short bloom window and like like the amount of space and attention that they take up seems out of proportion to like what you get back to me but then every year I don't grow them I'm like oh I miss them you know yeah. so so this year I've, I've invested again in some in some sweet peas <laughs> so we'll see how that goes and chrysanthemums I want to try growing those in earnest again next year because I think it really is really wonderful how they prolong your growing season nicely yeah. and I think of them as so robust because they can put up with our drought conditions. I don't know if they are oh. robust in the same way with the other conditions, but they just seem as hard as nails. Like Really? Yeah. At least we have clay soil and the section that I grow mine on okay. are, is not as improved as, as other areas. So last summer was really, really hot and I we didn't have a great irrigation system and didn't feel water them as much as probably it said on the label almost and and they did really really well almost almost liked the challenge I don't know and they, yeah right <laughs> yeah I think of them as really tough so but and I do don't have know your, do you have heirloom moms like the really cool yeah, fun varieties yeah. yeah yeah all and all all from rooted cuttings most of them from kings in Washington so I don't I okay don't, yeah I don't know where you get them <laughs> Well, that's, that's a problem. I'm so jealous because I, right before Brexit, like the year before Brexit, mm -hmm. I did a trial of chrysanthemums and I was like, Ooh, like these are so fun. And they were from chrysanthemumsdirect.uk, you know, and, like yeah. there were all <laughs> these cool varieties. And like, as I was trialing them, I was looking through their website and picking out ones I want to try next year. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden I went to go order them in January and it was like, 
unfortunately due to Brexit, like we're unable to ship, you know, so on the continental Europe, there's not really any great provider that I can find at all. So what I did this year, All Saints Day was just a week or so ago. And there's this, like, the bit, this big, huge tradition here for decorating the tombs and the graveyards during this time, at that time. And so, so it's all like chrysanthemums. So there were all these plants and I was super lucky to find these like really cool, fun varieties in plant form. So I was like, well, I'm just going to buy them and I'm going to take cuttings next spring and propagate them that way. Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. So we'll see. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> Absolutely. The breeding seems to be really cool too. Inaccessible to us, but in New Zealand, I've seen some really cool varieties and also in the UK, unfortunately. Oh, so like breeding almost like what Erin is doing with dahlias. They do that with chrysanthemums? Kind of, yeah. Or And I, I don't know what the process is because the petal, like the they're growing in a slightly different way, but they, but yeah, it seems like they're just some really cool varieties coming through. The Tula improved. Ooh. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Is that from New Zealand? Oh, those Tulas. Yeah, they're really cool. Yeah, oh. there's so many awesome. I grew chrysanthemums. I always thought they were kind of fussy, you know, especially like living on the East Coast. It's like, wait, you, the little, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. short, stocky, you know, <laughs> those buttony styles that they stuff around a tree, totally. you know, when they like redo seasonal arrays. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, glad chrysanthemums, but they were my daughter's birth oh. flower. And so I, you know, really wanted to like go all in and, and just hit the beginning of kind of the wave of them becoming more popular and was so happy for it because they're so cool and beautiful. And again, for us at least easy to grow. And so it's, it's been really fun. And so you treat them, you don't have to dig them out or overwinter them in any way. No, just leave okay. them. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wonder a little bit like, well, the dahlias ask to be put to bed like right. they go so early they really do have a window and so when yeah so they're green still and they're producing buds but you just we just take them down because they need to go to bed. yeah you're just like you're not <laughs> yeah they're like you're done <laughs> I'm, I'm calling it you're cut off I have nothing more to give <laughs> yeah they're like please whereas they I almost think if I didn't I cut them to the ground in the winter and the new rosettes are already starting and they wow and they just kind of they're a little slow but by uh, like by January they're already making yeah making headway and they're go forever and so really you know, little yes I staked them which is needed and my dog <laughs> chased a gopher through them flattening them and so I'll put them up in a couple hours but they're they're a little bit brittle and so they had already decided like the sun was in a different like, angle nope. and so they like sort of, yeah and so now they all are growing prostrate <laughs> like like on against each other but again they're maybe seven feet long because they like grew up more to like get that extension That's to insane. like get the sun yeah they're just like oh it's cool we'll lie down for this I don't know how you feel about staking but sometimes sometimes I feel like that's how you get the stems with the most movement is by just like letting the stem you know like instead of getting those stick straight stems you get like these curvy like like moving for the light I know and it's such a I want to say not hard you know some of them need to be not underneath other ones right like (laughs) they need a little bit of something but yeah it's so true because that especially I find that with dahlias I'll it looks so beautiful and you trim one and it's just like, you know, it's yeah. Too, yeah, too vertical kind of. Whereas when they have a little bit of flop, they get some really cool movement in them. Yes. And especially the ball dahlias, I find they, they have a little more wiggle. Maybe yes. if they don't snap, if they tilt. Yeah, I've never, I've never staked dahlias, but mostly just because I found I don't need to, which I think is lucky. Like they, mine don't grow like as tall as me yeah. or bigger. You know, like I see, I see these pictures of people in their fields of dahlias and they're like cutting all the way up here you know I'm, <laughs> I'm like bending down to cut my flowers <laughs> yeah but yeah so I would also hate to like not stake in order to get movement out of my stems and then have like the whole thing blow over in a terrible gale of course wind right like <laughs> or a dog gopher instant oh yeah yeah there you go <laughs> yeah. there you go <laughs> that would be a pretty as well <laughs>
Right. You're talking about the the movement in your arrangements. I think that's such a hallmark of them. They really seem without even before there were reels, you know, they had so much. You really saw that the space that each of the flowers kind of created among themselves, which is so beautiful. Can you walk us through a little bit how you think about shape? I had an example that I sent to you and that I'll share with listeners. This more a recent piece that has, I see dahlias in there and that's maybe the Solomon seal as well. Yes. And some we would call tick seed, but coreopsis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know so many flowers have terrible names. I know. Isn't it awful? Yeah. And the other thing that I was so taken, just many of your, your arrangements just take my breath away. But this especially because it had what I think a lot of people think are tricky, which is both white and yellow. Right. Well, which is funny. That's actually a bouquet that I created for my celebrating the seasons course for like our grand finale and I had, I had really focused, I, I had had this goal of going for really like butter yellow foliage and then just kind of using the t- the coreopsis and the zinnias as my focal flowers. And as I was cutting, I was like, oh, I'm so drawn to the small world pom-pom dahlias, you know? And I was like, and I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, and I told them in the beginning, I was like, okay, so I, I, these are my, this, these are my ingredients and this is what's inspiring me at the moment. No guarantees I can make this work. Like, let's see. Because <laughs> it is super tricky. Like white is just tricky. You know, all of a sudden when you throw white in any combination, yeah. it's like, it kind of screams like, look mm-hmm. at me, you know, and, and the, the contrast can be too intense to really appreciate the arrangement in its entirety. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was really happy with that, how that turned out. I think it's kind of like the, so to walk you through creating an arrangement with nice movement and really giving each flower its own space is, first of all, like I, I really try to listen to each stem as you know and and like really study each stem and figure out how it wants to be placed because nothing's nothing's worse than kind of a backwards facing stem where the foliage just doesn't shine or like you can't fully see the flower you know you know so each stem really does already almost tell you how it would like to be placed just by flower head direction or how it how it's leaning or how it's kind of moving so so that's like one of the one of the main things i'm looking for and i'm always looking for extremities, you know, like where you have your extremities that have this wonderful movement to it. And like, I always tell people as I'm going through a demonstration that you really almost want to think of your arrangement as a dancer, you know, like that you have this really wonderful, these hand gestures or like hand movements or your legs are doing really wonderful movements, which create really interesting shapes for your eye to take in and explore. And it makes a really beautiful statement, you know, so you're really looking for these few extremities to use as like arms and legs that really have that natural movement. And that's going to really make your arrangement float and dance, you know? So, so it's, it's really in those extremities, I would say, where your main movement comes from, and then you're kind of building out your body and, you know, so you so it's kind of this organic process from there, but those are always going to be the pieces that stick out most and that you build out to that have the most to say. So I think, I think that's the best way to, for that, and, that, and that's my way. I, I know I work with a lot of other designers who have really other wonderful methods of creating and like almost have the opposite approach that I do. And it, and it still works out really wonderfully. So, so there is no right way, but that's, that's just the way I like to see each arrangement. Yeah, that's wonderful. I segues to your Celebrating the Seasons program, your online training program which just seems so robust and has so many wonderful components. Can you describe that a little bit? Yes. So during COVID, you know, all of a sudden I was stuck with this garden and nobody could come and visit. And since I would say like a good 95% of my 
garden visitors travel internationally, all of a sudden there was just like this hard stop to any kind of interaction in terms of like sharing the flowers. And, and I really noticed that I, I missed sharing, like, like it was fun creating from the garden and picking the flowers myself, but, but there's, there's this creative energy exchange that comes when you get to create together with someone or watch somebody else pick or explain your process in a way, you know, and, and through explaining and teaching, you actually discover also so much more about yourself and, and your own approach and continue to grow as you're also learning from people who are visiting and their aesthetic approach, you know, so, so it's, it's this really wonderful exchange that I really missed. And I knew I would like to try to create something virtually, but I didn't want it to just be me recorded because <laughs> I, that just didn't feel authentic to me at all. You know, like I don't want somebody just sitting there watching me for hours and ugh, I don't know. I wanted to find a nice way to combine that, you know, where you, where you can see a pre-recorded demonstrations and take your time to absorb the information, but then combine that with a live interactive element, like where we're really creating together to try to recreate that creative energy exchange. So I came up with the Celebrating the Seasons course, which really is meant to make the most of what each, you know, I, I call it Celebrating the Seasons because that was the, the best wordage that I could come up with, but it's really making the most of what's flowering each month, you know, so like each month, in addition to the to the pre-recorded demonstrations where, where I really go into deep detail in terms of my approach and explain the process of creating arrangements of different scales, different types of bouquets, even like photographing your flowers. And we have uh, an exercise that we go through for authentic artistry, like kind of talking about how to find what's authentic to you, you know, like what, what your unique voice is. And then so combining that with each month getting together and then putting what we've learned into practice and really creating what's blooming and beautiful in the moment, which is really cool because it's like this international group. So you've got somebody from Hong Kong who has a has to really source from wholesale market and has to get really creative with how to look for ways of incorporating that movement or those stems, you know, because it's so different picking from your garden mm -hmm. versus needing to rely on something that's been shipped internationally from Amsterdam, you know, but then like other flower growers from Seattle and flower grower from Switzerland and Sweden, you know, so you have all these different climates and different growing conditions and flower choices available that make it super interesting to see what somebody's like, what March looks like around the world. <laughs> that was really fun. That's so cool. And again, you have so many different pieces to it. Can you remind me what the months are coming together and creating? So past year, I started, I opened up the pre-recorded demonstration, like online school in February. And then I had our first actual design session together, I think starting in April. And then we went all the way through October, but we ended with photography, which was ended up kind of not, not being a bust, but like didn't have that like grand finale mm -hmm. feeling that I think we as a group were hoping for. Um, so I extended it into November and we did, we did a November session as well, since the garden was still giving and there was still so much beauty to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> but this year I've decided to start already in December and really kind of have like our introductory meet and greet and like kind of introductions in December. And then starting in January, already go into like authentic artistry and that discovery process just kind of use the winter months to really self-reflect on like who we are as either growers, designers, you know, whatever our specialty is and how, how we can use that to our advantage and really kind of find 
what makes us unique and special and how to translate that in our floral work and then open up the school so people can really watch the videos and then start. So I, I kind of restructured things a little bit and extended it a bit to make it flow, I hope, slightly more natural way <laughs> and really use the winter months since those are for me personally, even very reflective months, you know, like where you're really sitting and thinking and, and you're, you're almost nature almost tells you to take a little break. So it's a good time to take a collective break and just enjoy brainstorming and dreaming together. <laughs> yeah, well, it's wonderful how you've been able to use all seasons in sort of their appropriate way and then also come together across the world, but still really keep that almost hands-on, you know, what you were doing in your workshops even prior to this pandemic time. So it's, I hope you continue to offer it because I, it is on my list for, for the future. It just looks wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I hope to. I hope it's a, it's a nice compliment to in-person teaching as well. I really enjoy it. So I, as long as there is a demand for it, I'll continue offering it. I think it's fun. Wonderful. You've mentioned a few other florists and other artists that you were drawing inspiration from when you first started out. Are there any either gardens or people influences that you draw from now mm -hmm. that you books, anything that you look to now? Well, there's this garden designer named Dan Pearson. I don't know if you know him. Yes. Yeah. He's amazing. Oh my gosh. Like, so, and, and just like his garden and the outskirts of Bath, I guess, you know, it's, it's just like, there's mm -hmm. something like, to me, it's so much more of a, like what you see is really wonderful, but it's like that feeling you get when you're experiencing it. And like somehow his garden and like his approach to a really natural way of gardening makes me feel something. So that's really, that's super inspirational to me, like his, his way of incorporating the natural landscape into his garden, I think is super beautiful. I really enjoy, like I collaborate on a nice amount of workshops together with uh, Madison from Heart Floral. I really love her work as well. I think it's really inspirational and I really love working together because I feel like we complement each other in so many wonderful ways. I still really love Susanna's work from the Blue Carrot and I think and I still really love Sapua. I think I think what Sarah is doing is super special, not solely in terms of floristry, but just in terms of that wholesome process of being intimately in touch with where everything is coming from and where your flowers are coming from and really intentional choices. I think that's super special. Those are wonderful. Did you see Dan Pearson has a new training on Create Academy? I did. Yeah. yeah that looked really cool. I know, I did. I did. I was like, oh. I was like, I'll do, I'll do anything to hear him talk. I know. It's so funny because it's not, it's not necessarily 100% applicable to what I'm doing, but I find it super fascinating. No, no, you know, exactly. like it's just no, like passionate yeah. people are just really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Passionate, really like just that creative mind. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's, it's amazing. Like whether yeah. it's, yeah, ceramics or gardening or singing, like yeah. music is so beautiful. You know, like there's so many yeah. different outlets that are so intriguing and wonderful. <laughs> Exactly. For the next generation, as a parent, how do you involve your daughter in the garden? I think you described a perennial, no pun intended, parenting issue with sort of the, I want you to explore in this space, but please don't eat that. <laughs> you know? Or please don't be behead all of those. Yeah, yes. Oh my God, yes. Well, that was the funniest thing. So, so many soups and potions soups. Being made oh God, of all the, the blossoms. Soups. <laughs> soups. I like that. Like the funniest thing was like, you know, with the grape hyacinths, we have like this carpet of grape hyacinths in the courtyard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just look over one time and it's just like, boop, 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 boop. Like she's just like picking off. I was like, oh. 
I know they they come out so fun because they like almost pop in that funny way, and I was like, yeah, oh. I mean, and, and so I totally relate. It's really fun and it's tactile and yeah. it's cool. <laughs> right. I try. <laughs> I'm just on try to be very like hands off in terms of like letting her help plant things. Like now, like right now, I'm planting the tulips and. Her, her thing right now for whatever reason is like oh can I have one can I have a, can I have a garden can I make a garden you know so so like part of me is like yes you know but just don't plant it in my garden like right now right <laughs> but like, like but I have a vision for this so I'm just gonna do my thing here <laughs> but so she has like this little bucket of like tulip bulbs that she's collecting that she's gonna theoretically plant in her garden somewhere <laughs> but it's just fun like I try I try to do it in a very no pressure environment. I've like, okay, well, do you want to help me plant something? And if she says no, it's like, okay, you know, fine. Like go roll in the dirt or, you know, do, do the crazy things you want to do. But if she does, you know, just kind of like show her what I'm doing and let her do her version of it. You know, like even, even if the tulip is like a little bit on its side or, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go in and be like, oh, 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 you know, like, like you know, so yeah, I yeah. think if you put too much pressure on it or if you make it really clear that there's only one right way to do it, you know, like, or, or like correct everything that they're doing, they're going to lose that spark of interest and wanting to be involved, you know? So, so it's like this balancing act of like trying to show them how to do it and involve them in a really like casual, fun way, but still trying to teach them the right way to do it. <laughs> and like totally let her just like, like often, you know, I'll, I'll go through and deadhead the dahlias and then she'll, she'll come like half an hour later and be like, oh, the pretty flowers, you know? And so she's like, can I collect them? You know, it's like, yeah, I collect all the deadheaded dahlias, you know? <laughs> but to her, they're still beautiful. And like, you know, so... <laughs> So she'll make her like mini bouquets out of those. And so it's fun. I, I enjoy. And I run this movement called the Lonely Bouquet. And it's like the last the last Sunday of every June. And we make whatever bouquets that we can gather from our garden. And we go and hide, like kind of tuck them in random public places with like a take me card. And so that's another thing that I try to involve her with. Like, like the giving, like how, how special giving flowers can be. And like the, just the act of giving without any expected reward or return. Just making people happy so that's that's what I try to involve her with as well as like kind of distributing those like making those and putting those together and then spreading those around so that's a fun thing sweet that's wonderful (laughs) how do you do it I try I think exactly the same just as you said trying for the same because it's hard when you're like oh but that's the one of that I have and it's very shallowly planted so I have been known to you know let her dig the hole and then make a little marker and like go back and actually put you know whatever it is underneath deeper into the once they're out of sight (laughs) right exactly but it's also amazing how many things come up you know exactly as they're supposed to and you know put it on its side it'll it'll turn it'll make it so exactly out. totally nature is so resilient and strong like they're gonna withstand a four or seven year old hand pointing them slightly wrong exactly <laughs> right right they've been around yeah. for millennia they're gonna make it oh, when i was trying to seed with her and i was trying to like when i think this was when she was like three and gave her some really fine and i've since moved on to nasturtiums where i'm like okay that's a big seed yeah <laughs> But like, I think I, I think I gave her like snap dry, something ridiculous, you know, I was like, oh, never again, you know, yeah. so I was like, sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. Yeah. I tried to like show her how to do that. And uh, so yeah. I was just like sprinkling yeah. it over the soil and she was like, Poof, you know, just like, <laughs> so yeah. like oh, yeah. lesson learned. <laughs> You're right. We had that with basil and everything germinated because it's, you know, basil. She just had like a clump of basil. <laughs> I think she, as I was doing something else, put another layer of soil over the first seeds and then <laughs> put another, and, and they all came up and they all, and we like were able to way more basil than anyone Transplant could, it all out. Yeah, could ever use, but they all, they made basil they, lasagna. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. And that's what it was. It was because, and then she poured so, so much water, it 
completely filled and they all went, you know, in one direction. Oh, and no, it was, yes. it was, but you know, they all made it. I, I think it was, you know, a hundred percent germination. It was better than I had ever done. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And just more transplantation work for you. But exactly, exactly. Just, as you said, done with love. So yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah. So hopefully the, the memory is always the fun of doing it and the excitement and the seeing it later, as opposed to me saying, Oh, could you not? Totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, next time let's do a little less water. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Right. Did you notice that she's equally interested? Needs to be, you know. Yeah. Okay. I think, and I'm not sure if it's is it gardening specifically, or I think if you're passionate about something, they'll pick up on that and sort of whether they yeah. do it long term, they certainly enjoy being a part of something that you care about. Right. And so yeah. So maybe. So I think she's sort of at an age where maybe interested in in helping in whatever, no matter what the activity is. But certainly, just as you're, you're saying, collecting the deadheaded dahlias and or going out with her own snips and making, you know, making a bouquet. It's yeah, it's really fun to see. It seems I think there is something about the natural world that is just inspiring to young people and draws them in. So so yeah, I think there's, yeah, I would say yeah. nobody's like equally interested finding worms in the soil versus you know like right yeah yeah it's really celebrating every piece of it right yeah which is so nice to involve them in that and just see how interrelated everything really is you know like how nice soil does depend on like worm activity uh, you know and that insect which is but you know like oh and like collecting slugs oh my gosh I would take her like she would help me collect slugs from the dahlias since we had such a wet summer it was so terrible for the dahlias and so she would help me collect all the slugs but then she found the slug that had spots on it and I was like oh she was like I found the prettiest slug you know I was like oh cool that's weird you know and then my friend later told me like oh you should introduce I think in German they're called like tiger slugs so I looked it up but she said she was like oh you should introduce these slugs because they eat the slugs the other slugs eggs blah 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 I looked it up and I was like oh that's the slug Nellie found <laughs> and so I told her that and then she and then she found like two more and so I was like oh yeah, yeah. yay good job <laughs> we have them yeah I told my daughter about the importance of worms, if in, even if it's only to eat things. <laughs> she would collect them from other places and bring them home. <laughs> so she'd go for a walk, like in this park near our, our house. And then she's like, Mama, there are worms in the park. I was like, yeah, they are. And she's like, and I brought them to you. <laughs> I was like, oh God, yeah. So I'm like <laughs> digging holes and like pushing them in like, sorry, sorry, I hope you're okay. <laughs> I know. Well, well it's so funny because we, we have a family of chicken now. And mm-hmm. there was like this, she felt just so torn between like, like, I know worms are good for the garden, but, like, I also want to give my chicken a snack. Like, I guess I could, I could just see this, like, yeah, this, this mental turmoil of, like, oh, right. like, oh, how gosh. do I hold both things in my hand? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. She found her That's way. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And do you, either together or, or separately, do you have any practices for saving the seasons? Do you do any preserving or drying of flowers? I know you incorporate them in your some of your arrangements. Yeah. I have like, my attic is ridiculously full of like these random, beautiful dried stems of flowers, but most of it is due to laziness cleaning up. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. the cleanest florist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so all of these like two week old arrangements, like there's this unique beauty and death as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So all of a sudden I'll go to empty an arrangement. I'm like, oh, that's pretty. Oh, that dried pretty. Oh, that dried pretty. You know, so so then I have like all these little jars of collected stems that have just dried beautifully but I don't I don't often find myself having wonderful ways of using them at the moment but I think I think like if I did more wreath work or if I did more I think if I taught over winter 
that would be interesting, but I, I don't think that's also a super feasible. Maybe I'll be changing because I used to really like to take the winter as like a very like strict off season and go and spend the time visiting my family in California. But now with Nellie in school, it's, you know, with the strict school vacation timing, I can't really take the full winter off. So I don't know. So maybe maybe there will be dried classes coming at some point. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, there is a really unique beauty to winter as well. Like you were saying that the using each season, it's, you know, that, that time of reflection and that beauty of death, you know, like of the, all these collected treasures, nice nod to the beauty of seasons past. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And do you collect your own seed? Yes. Yes. That for sure. I've also collected a lot of dahlia seed this year. So I'll be, I'll be using my garden at home to kind of grow some, I mean, grand, knock on wood, they germinate. I, I collected them last year, but I think I might've collected them after a frost, you know? So I think my, my maybe my seed wasn't viable anymore, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I did, I got zero germination this year. So I was like, woo. but I, I plan to use my garden here at home to kind of test out as, as my trial beds for any seedlings that germinate and see how that goes. Cool. I know that home breeding stuff that's happening now across the Look out, it's exploded. Yes, it's so cool. (laughs) It's really fun to see. And although that you see something, you think, oh, that's beautiful. I want it. (laughs) I know. I know. You're like, that's the one thing in someone's garden. (laughs) Especially Christine from uh, Santa Cruz Dahlia. I'm just like, oh, all those are so pretty. (laughs) Those are amazing. Yeah. all of But it's just so funny, like the whole process that goes from like starting a seed to needing to be trialed through several years to make sure it stores well, to make sure it grows well, that you can divide it well, you know, like all these different traits that a tuber has to have in order to actually go into mass production or like semi-medium scale production even. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it really is. As with anything, it's so wonderful to see the process because you realize what it means to hold one in your hand kind of, and to see, to have, have it replicated in another garden. It's fun to recognize that process. Same too with the zinnias, I think the Lime Queen series just kind of blew me away when those came out. Yeah. And now seeing how others are being developed off of that, it's just like, there could be oh. more. Yeah, it could <laughs> be even know? more beautiful. Yeah. And, then, and then yeah. somebody told me, tulip provider or tulip breeder was telling me that it takes like six years to grow from a seed, like the plant that's tulip seed for it to grow mm-hmm. actually into a bulb. And then from then an additional like X amount of years for it to like be... Right. Bulk up and then spread, yeah, all of that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like on his Facebook group, I saw this like amazing dark grape colored tulip, and I was like, oh, is this one available? And he was like, yeah, in yeah, in like years. ten years. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, putting it on my schedule. <laughs> well, and that's it. So, just the idea of how difficult that must be to. I'm sure there are lots of colors now that won't be as popular later. Right? Yeah, you have to be so ahead of the trend. Like whoever thought of Bella Pock like 20 years ago when they must have been breeding it <laughs> was exactly. a genius. <laughs> exactly. Or seniors hope, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess there are certain like yeah. cafe au lait. I mean, but I don't know. Maybe that's going to go out of style in like five years. Who knows? It seems like it cannot right? possibly because it is, you know, you think, oh, this is over. And then you see it and you think, no, I, know. I get it. You're beautiful. <laughs> I apologize for saying that earlier, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, but it's like, it's just amazing. So it, it just seems like, no, you can't ever lose with it, but it has to. Over I know. Right? I, yeah. I don't know. Are there, are there just like those classics that will ever, that will like just always. Yeah. Well, cause hasn't it already been around since like 1992 or something or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think also. Or even longer. Yeah, points up the way all trends kind of 
moves through sort of being only available for right. professionals and then becomes a garden right you know and even and even still like it's sold out which is i love it it's such a great way for yes. flower too you know people see that and then they think and then you look at the catalog and they think oh, like, there oh, oh, oh. yeah <laughs> yeah no exactly like, yeah there were those like can't wait I always, I always yeah. call it the gateway flower because it's, and it's so productive and it's, and it's really easy. I mean, again, especially around us, you leave them in the ground, but even, even having to take them out, they're really fun. Yeah. Fun plants. What was your gateway flower? I would say, uh, you know, I, there were some Picotee oh, ranunculus yes. that, you know, just, they look like dipped, like silk dipped in, you know, in other, you know, had never seen them before, saw them at a, a local forest. And then, um, and then also dahlias, almost similar in the sense that they were so fusty they weren't being grown regularly. So when I discovered them in my uncle's <laughs> garden, I was like, what are these strange <laughs> creatures, you know? And then they were just so fun. And so, and again, so rewarding. And I made a bed in the back of our house with like looking at plans for how to make a bed. And then I was like, or you could just put like prop up, you know, <laughs> I was like, like, That's all I have. like prop up some boards. Yeah. And just like put <laughs> soil in them and they grew and they were, you know, totally happy until the gophers ate the center section out. But that's fine. <laughs> Yeah. And so, and so I think just the, the fun of, as with anything, the idea that you can grow something that you can't get anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, yes. It's so, yeah, you sort of, you have that little like hint of something, that gateway where you're like, oh wait, that's something that grows in the ground and I've never seen it before and maybe I could get one. Yeah. I want to. It's so, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also just as you're, you're describing the seasons and celebrating them, it's that laying them into the ground in the spring or whenever they come to you. And then the idea that once you see green, then you do this. And then once you see, you know, each sort of step and you get to kind of, yeah, live those seasons. Totally. You just know it's coming. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. No, at least for me, it's like we always love nature and do lots of hikes and things, but nothing got me outside daily in the same way as yeah. just checking totally. on them. <laughs> it's this really unexpected invitation to become you know, like an intimate part of your local ecosystem and yeah. like your garden. Yeah. And, and your surrounding nature. Yeah. Like, and we had deer visiting and I was like, oh man, like mm -hmm. we have, they're eating my roses, and, you know? And so you're trying to find like this balance between like, wow, beautiful nature, you know, but like, please don't eat my roses. So, so you find, so right. then I found like <laughs> this mix of chili powder, Tabasco, eggs, and like a teeny bit of dish soap that you spray on them and then they, they've left them alone but like they still come and like eat the grass you know it's like this it's like you, right, you learn yeah, you to like to coexist in a, in a way you would have maybe never discovered if you didn't start growing things yeah yeah were your wedding flowers that was sort of your gateway was there one thing in particular that you were just like this will always be in my garden oh man from from wedding work not necessarily even even cafe au lait's um, I I kind of let go last year I, I finally decided like I don't think I want because they're so difficult to use you know and like they're yeah they're big, they're big. And the color is like no other but they're just difficult and like picky plants for me like they don't grow very well but I've kind of convinced myself maybe I've just gotten the wrong like provider or something so and I miss them this year <laughs> like always so I'll try growing those again next year but those were like the only like main takeaway really from my wedding work. But I think if I, if I had to choose one flower in, that I will always want in the garden, just for the sake of going out, like running out and like wanting to run out and see what that flower that popped up looks like, it would be pansies for me. Because uh -huh. every, like even, even on one plant, each face is so unique and so different. And yeah. so it's, it's endless excitement <laughs> every morning seeing which new ones open up. Totally. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs>
And you have your roses also from your Oakland garden. Yeah, 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 exactly. Except which is so funny because my mom grew and she still has one plant with her because we she moved. She grows more of the, Hi, yeah, Betty. yeah, where, where it's like literally yeah. like one bloom on each stem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, I've fallen much more in love with like the actual garden style roses where you get like the David Austin's and like the, the yeah. more teacup shaped, you know, where you get like multiple. Yes. Yeah. So it's funny, even though I really love growing roses as well, they're very different from the ones that I grew up with. Absolutely. Definitely. I, I've always loved roses and I, I know the ones that I loved as a young person were not the sort of more English style that I love now, but there's something still about them. Isn't that funny how your tastes just change? Yeah, yeah. I think it's always evolving. Like, I think even in 20 years, we'll look back and be like, oh, God, remember when I used to? <laughs> Absolutely. I know. <laughs> when there was, I can't remember, I think it was the Land Gardeners. Yeah. In their book, they mentioned, don't tell anyone, but I have been, you know, dabbling in the hybrid teas again or something. <laughs> no. Well, that's the thing. And also, with like dahlias and chrysanthemums, you know, like that's why, like 20 years ago oh. or 30 years ago, they were like old fashioned and, uh, and grandma's flower, you know. Yeah. So I feel like there's this resurgence that happens with flowers yep. throughout the years that Exactly. So maybe people will look back at our work and be like, Oh god, these dahlias, how old school and <laughs> how ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those silly people born before the two yeah. thousands. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> well, and then based on all of these experiences that you've had, do you have any recommendations for bringing more people, either young or older, into the garden? I think the one of the best ways you could do it is to see something, like fall in love with something you see blooming, save the seed, you know, like bring a seed home and then try growing it yourself. And mm-hmm. I almost want to say start growing like something edible and like learn how the satisfaction of growing something and enjoying it and then translate that into florals. Like just get comfortable with growing something. And I think I think one of the huge things is, and I think you touched on it earlier, is how our, our daughters can plant something and it still grows, germinates amazingly and grows. And like there, there's this sense of intimidation and like this barrier that I think a lot of people feel of like gardening being untouchable and like, oh, but you need to like, know all of this and know all of this and study this first and oh and like the seed package says it's a dark germinator and like oh whatever you know whereas right. I don't know like I had one student who requested garden guidance in addition to the celebrating the seasons and like part of the one of the things she was asking was about flocks you know like the Pemberley flocks and like how to germinate it you know and I was saying like I've done both like I, I put like a towel over some of that like one half like one right. and one time I didn't and it also looked worked well which was really surprising to me you know so I told her let's do an experiment yeah. where we do like one tray with a towel germinating and dark conditions and one just like under usual seed sowing conditions and see yeah. what happens and totally similar germination rates on both I think there's like this intimidating factor and I don't I don't think seed companies do it intentionally I think they're doing it to be informative (laughs) but like all of the directions can be overwhelming for people who are trying to like dip their toes in growing you know so I think I think the best way to get people out there and like really embrace trying to grow is to be experimental and try and and don't be afraid you know like mistakes happen and things aren't going to work no matter how much expertise you have or how hard you try things still won't work you know like and but a lot of stuff will just to know that that's just a natural part of the process. <laughs> Absolutely. And not to be afraid, just try. <laughs> right, right. That's wonderful. And once, I guess, they're they're ready, then they're experts like you for the next step. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know. Or I guess I would say enthusiasts like Okay, you. yeah, there's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, it's always still so scary when somebody says, like, not expert, or like, or, or when somebody's like, oh, you're a genius, or, so, you know, like, there are these, like, right. these words that are just like, oh. 
you know, like, I don't, I don't yeah. think that's fully, I don't know, you know, yeah. but, but I mean, it's very sweet, but it's, I think we're always learning and, yeah, and making mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's, that is learning, right? And I create things that I'm totally not happy with, too. I'm like, whoa, what'd I do? <laughs> right, right. Thank you so, so much for all this oh, time. Thank you so much, Jill. <laughs> Fantastic. Bye-bye. Have a great evening. Enjoy your day. Bye, Jill. Thank you so much for listening. You'll find links for everything we've discussed in the show notes or on our website. To get early access to our guest list and information about bonus episodes, gardening tips from our guests, and more, sign up for the newsletter at violetearstudio.com.